This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Please enjoy worship as Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled Walls and Gates. This is the first message in the Beach Chair Theology series. Please enjoy. Yeah. Welcome to 12 Stone Summer. And these first three weeks of Beach Chair Theology... That's right, imagine Jesus grabbing a beach chair with you, hanging out and and offering wisdom for how to get the good life. And this is part of the good life, isn't it? I mean, right here, you get the beach, you get the water, you get the sun, you get the sand, you, you get your umbrella out. And you got the kids, you're watching, you're enjoying. You, you got some things to help, help, help protect you, like the, uh, like the sunscreen. By, by the way, how many of you have ever on your first day of vacation either forgot the sunscreen or said to yourself, ah, I'll be fine, and you got burned? Come on, let's see the hands cross campuses. Of course you have. So stupid, right? I mean, why do I do that? And then you're burned, and, and, and like you can't shower, you can't sleep comfortably, you can't get out in the sun, wrecks the rest of the vacation, so, so you need that to, to help protect. It's kind of like a, a wall between the sun and your skin. Of course, they need to have your shades. Your Harley Davidson shades, because that's just cool. I don't care who you are. Because <laughs> you need to protect your eyes from the sand and, and from the UV rays. It's kind of like a wall between the, the sun and your eyes. And, and then, of course, you, you got to protect, you protect your beer, so you got to get jacuzzis. <laughs> hey, 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 root beer, okay? For, I don't know what you were thinking, but I... Drink root beer, so east to his own, but you, but you got to the koozie to, the, to keep it cool. And, and, and you just you like playing in the sand with your kids. I mean, you, you get the sandcastle. How many of you made sandcastles when you were a kid or you've been doing it with your kids somewhere? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love to make the, the sandcastle. In fact, I, I might as well just try one here to see if this thing still, still works. See if you still got it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you, you know, you build these and, and, and you build, you know, with the kids and build a wall around it and, and, and sometimes a moat. You know, that, that whole sandcastle stuff, it, it drifts back to the, to the mid-century, you know, the Middle Ages, the knights of the round table. But it goes back older than that. It, it, it goes all the way back to ancient times, biblical Old Testament times. Did you know King David, when he became king over the nation of Israel, the first thing he did was, was captured Jerusalem. He had to get a city with walls and gates because he knew that they wouldn't be any stronger than their walls and gates, than their walls and gates, than their what, everybody? Walls and gates. See, you, you have to have walls to keep the bad things out. You gotta have uh, the gates to let the good things in. Now you, you gotta keep the bad things out, like, like enemies, robbers. Gotta have the walls. But, but then you got to have the gates. you got, you, you got to have the, the, the place to let the good things in, like commerce and food. Now, and of course, for, for Jerusalem, for the nation of Israel, it, it wasn't as residential as the size of this. You look on the screen, here's a, here's a picture of what the, the walls look like at Jerusalem. They, they, they could be 40 feet high and 8 feet thick. But, but the city was no stronger than its walls and gates. 
And, and then the teaching turned personal. It, it became more individual. It started to be applied. Now, now you, in your life, your, your, your kind of personal life, you have your own walls and gates. Look at Proverbs chapter 25 on the screen. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. In other words, your life is no stronger than your own personal walls and gates. That's, that's why we, we put in your teaching notes, if you want to grab your teaching notes across the campus, take a look at, at the setup here for the teaching. I wrote in your notes, beach chair theology, here's what it equals, the good life. <laughs> the good life walls out bad things and lets in good things. So master your walls and gates. Master your walls and gates. Everybody say that with me. Do what? Master your walls and gates. That's all I want to teach today. That's it. Don't make it more complicated than that. If David could, could hang out with us, grab a, peach chair, a, a beach chair, so we got Jesus, we got David, he, they're going to hang out at the beach with us and, and, and give us insight on how to master and manage your walls and gates, well, then there would be things for us to learn from David, from his failures, and from his success. Again, don't make it more complicated than really learning how to say the yeses and the noes in life. Because the strength of your life is in your yeses, what you let in, and in your noes, what you keep out. Curiously, I read that there's about 94 times that the Bible uses the word yes. And 1,716 times that the Bible uses the word no. <laughs> now, I don't know that there's anything teachable in that, but it's not surprising that you have to say no about 18 times more often than you say yes. <laughs> That, that really, there's a lot more wall required than gates, right? You, you need much more walls, much, much heavier walls. You don't need that many gates. You don't need that many yeses. But there's a whole bunch of no's. You got to know when to say no. This, several years back, our family went to Alabama, Gulf Shores. And, and as we were there enjoying family vacation time, uh, Marsha saw the slingshot ride. Did you ever see that slingshot ride? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And she's like, oh, we ought to do that. Now, I immediately understood the right answer. No. I knew to put a wall there. That's not a gate. That's a wall. You don't, you, well, of course the answer is no. You, why would you want to be the stone in David's sling? That makes no sense at all, honey. And she's like, well, I want to. I said, well, you know what? I can't make your decisions. <laughs> but the answer is no for me. She talked our eldest son, Josh, into it. He regretted that. <laughs> As did this dad I want you to watch who apparently didn't know what I knew. And for this moment, you need to appreciate this. His daughter says, you're going to scream? No, I'm not going to scream. <laughs> let me just let the whole thing play out. I think you'll get it for your entertainment. Wait, wait. Uh, I'll tell you my mom I don't want to ride. No, no, no. You're I don't want to ride. 
not change my mind, please? Can I not ride? I don't want to ride anymore. I change my mind. Can I leave my shoes out? Can I leave my shoes? Give it, give it up for that. That's entertaining. Oh, my goodness. Didn't you love that? He's coming down to the end. You're like, dude, we saw the whole video. He's acting like it's all cool at the end. No, that was a stupid decision. And the moment you let it in the gate, man, there was no going back. We do that in life all the time. We're like, man, I know I should say no, but I'll say yes to be cool. And then as soon as we're in it, we're like, no, no, get that out of my city. But it's too late. Then when we're all done doing stupid, we act like, man, I'm so cool, man. Yeah. No, wasn't that awesome? Yeah, I just wrecked my life. Yeah. But your life is no stronger than how you manage your walls and gates. You got to have walls. Keep the bad things out. You gotta have gates to let the good things in. Let's talk about it. David would, I think, walk us right into this idea of the walls keeping, look at your notes, keeping bad things out. 2 Samuel chapter 11, grab your Bibles, cross campuses, here we go. Your Bible's right here in the room or right underneath your chair. So if you just reach down, uh, maybe you have to get up a little bit, pull that uh, scripture out, the Bible, and we're over on page 309, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at it with me, 2 Samuel chapter 11, page 309. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own on the way out, stop at guest information. We'd love to give you uh, your own Bible as a gift from us, complimentary, and uh, help encourage you to be in God's word. So here we go with David in the spring, verse 1, chapter 11. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Pause. David's walls were broken personally. See, he had the responsibility as king to be out leading the war. And he was home, playing hooky. <laughs> That's where it starts. One evening, verse 2, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, 
and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. You get what's going on. He committed adultery. Next verse tells us she became pregnant. Obviously, David wasn't managing his walls very well. The walls were broken down. And David would teach us some things. He'd probably be sitting back in the beach chair and just say, man, I, 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 in that season, I just let my walls fall. And the progression of the three things we just read, he'd say, you got to say no to. Put your walls up. Let's put them on the screen. Here are the three thoughts. You got to say no to shirking. You got to say no to ungrateful. You got to say no to sexual sin. You got to put walls up. Now, shirking, let's talk about that one. That's it. Shirk. Isn't that just an unusual and interesting and curious word? You don't use it a lot, but it's a great word. Here's what it means. It means to avoid or neglect. To what? Avoid or neglect. To avoid or neglect responsibility. See, it was David's responsibility as king to lead the way into the war. God had anointed him and appointed him to be king over the nation of Israel. This, this, is the, this is a first and foremost spiritual war every time they go out. Because the nation of Israel is representing the living God, and it's the God of Israel against the gods, the false gods, of all the other nations. So it's first and foremost a spiritual war, and David's called and anointed by God to lead the way. Now he's probably 47 to 50 some years old at this period of time. And he's been going to war every spring as the king should. For many, many years. In fact, he was a warrior through his 20s, became king when he was 30. So he's been doing this for, for, for 25, 30 years. He's just finally like, you know what? I, I've been responsible enough for long enough. This season, I, I'm just going to be a little irresponsible. Now, he didn't say it that way to himself. What, what, what he was saying to himself is, I've earned the right. I've earned the freedom. I don't have to be responsible right now. And what followed was a cascade of sorrow and setbacks and suffering in his life and in the life of his family for decades. He'd sit right there in the beach chair and tell you if I could go back and put up a wall and change that moment of shirking my responsibility, it would have changed everything. Do you realize if he had simply been on the battlefield where he belonged, none of what followed would have ever occurred. It is not so innocent when you're irresponsible. It's not. In fact, David might just sit right there and ask us, what are you avoiding right now? What are you neglecting? Is there something in your job you're getting casual with? In your career? You're neglecting? In your marriage? Oh, you know, you've been married long enough that you no longer have to carry that responsibility, really? Your marriage can avoid that neglect? It, it can survive that neglect? Your family? Your finances? Your health? Your faith? Your walk with God? What calling upon you, what responsibilities are you neglecting?
Because we do it so innocently as if it doesn't matter. Oh, I've, I've, earned, I've earned the freedom to not have to do that anymore. Really? Jaden, our fourth, uh, just finished ninth grade. And we're so proud of him. And he's, he's, doing, he's a great young man, doing a great job in, in life. We're, we're, he's just really proud. And, and the last day of school means the next day is awesome, right? Except the next day he had to go to work. Had to start his job the next day. And he's like, I do? I said, yeah. Remember, you accepted the job? Well, no, I didn't want to, I don't want to right after, like, Dad, I need to have a couple of days where I'm just, uh, I just, I relax. I've earned something here, Dad. I said, yes, you've earned the opportunity to go to work. <laughs> the, the, the very next day, Dad? Yes. Welcome. <laughs> because a year from now, you want a car. And, and every family has their own deal, but our deal is this. Whatever you, whatever you raise, I match. So I'll buy half your car. But you put nothing on the table, I put nothing on the table. <laughs> so that's how you get a car in our family, and that's the deal. And we have our own. So, so I was a son, you, you have the responsibility of putting half up. And you, you're not close. <laughs> a year from now. So listen, if you don't start making good decisions to do the things you need to do today, you'll never have the world you dream of tomorrow. I love this quote from John Maxwell. Check it out, let's put it on the screen. If you do the things you need to do when you need to do them, then someday you get to do the things you want to do when you want to do them. Oh, write that down. Come on, you know that's good. So you take responsibility. You want to get somewhere in life. And, and, and David, David was not living responsible. Now listen, this summer, you get vacation. Yay, I love vacation. But, but you work and you get vacation, you work, you get vacation. I mean, it's, you don't vacation, 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 vacation. And there are subtle and dramatic ways where you can neglect responsibility and you know exactly when you're doing it. Now you might even deceive yourself and pretend you're not. But listen, there's a progression here. And David starts with shirking responsibility, and that usually leads to something like, number two, ungrateful, or entitlement, or envy, whatever word you want to use. See, you start with the casual, seemingly harmless being occasionally irresponsible, but what it often does is it triggers this sense of ungrateful. See, David had been blessed with a great family, but he was now looking at somebody else's. See, David's out on the balcony, and he's looking, and he sees Bathsheba. Well, Bathsheba, that, she's not yours. All David had to do was turn around and say, whew, and I, I need to go back in the house. I, I need to put all my effort and energy and attention on what I do have, not what I don't have. What I do have, not what I don't have. What I do have, not what I don't have. And you're putting your primary attention on something. And ungrateful people put all their attention on what they don't have, not what they do have. And there are a few things that will undo your life, like looking at all the things you don't have instead of what you do have. Ungrateful 
entitlement, envy erodes life. And David kind of got into this, well, why not? Why shouldn't I? After all, I'm king. I'm somebody. I've achieved some things. I mean, you just you start deceiving yourself into believing that your self-absorbed, ungrateful disposition is justified. And you'll make all sorts of stupid decisions afterwards. David did. Maybe if we were having this conversation with David sitting at the, at the beach, he'd just say, by the way, maybe your summer ought to be marked by practicing gratitude. Practicing what, church? Gratitude. But look, maybe you would have a completely different, high-end, life-changing summer if you spent this next nine weeks looking only at what you do have. Just being grateful. Maybe that would be your revolutionary summer. And you can already, some of you, feel the resistance in you because you're justified and you're self-absorbed what I don't have. You stare at what you don't have long enough and you'll go take it. You'll take what isn't yours. That's what he did. There's a progression in this. And that's why he would say, you better put a wall up. See, all I had to do is put a wall up in front of irresponsibility, but I didn't. I drifted and shirked responsibility. All I had to do is put a wall up as soon as I hit this ungrateful, entitled, envious position. But I didn't put a wall up. I let the wall fall. And then I walked right into sexual sin. And I needed to put a wall up. I mean, I had a moment in time when I could have put the wall up and said, I'm not going to take what isn't mine. But he didn't. Commits adultery. She gets pregnant. And David does some of the worst things he ever did in his entire life. After decades of being a man after God's own heart, he deceives himself, he takes another man's wife, he deceives his friends, and it leads to him taking the life of one of his friends just to protect his own deception. I mean, David, he had to have a moment where he said, how did I get here? Write that down. How did I get here? What's the phrase again? How did I get here? I mean, we hear that in our culture all the time. How did I get here? And, and, and by the way, when David says, how did I get here? Just so you know, he'd tell you, I was not a victim. I was a volunteer. <laughs> we all like to pretend we're, we're victims. We're, we're not. We're mostly volunteers. <laughs> we do it to ourselves. We have broken walls. See, I, my firstborn, Josh, when he graduated high school several years back, I wanted him to understand life. And I said, son, you're about to venture out on life. And you have all sorts of dreams, and you're young, and, and you have all sorts of possibilities, and great things are ahead of you. And, and you look around in the world, and you see those ahead of you, five years, 10 years, 20 years, pe pe people you, you're my age, your parents' age, and, and you wonder, how do people go from here with all sorts of dreams to way down here where it's just broken? 
I mean, where they just live like where David is living in loss and sorrow and setback and suffering and just the compilation of stupid. And, and, and how, how, do people, how do people fall in love here and, and yet they're down there in broken relationship? How do families fall apart? How do careers come to nothing? How do people end up in bankruptcy and just make stupid after stupid financial decision? How do, how do, people, how do people crash their character? How do people who once were committed to God end up far from God and agnostic if not atheistic, living in a way they said, I would never live like that. How does it happen? I said, son, if you don't know how it happens, someday you'll say, how did I get here? And I'm going to tell you how you got there so that you don't have to go there. So I drove him out to a parking lot. And it was an empty parking lot. But if there had been like 20 cars parked side by side, we would have seen 20 cars. But there were no cars there. And I said, son, how does somebody get from here way to the other side where they never planned to be? I said, the answer is so simple. They cross one line at a time. Write it down. They cross what? One line at a time. That's how they do it. See, nobody ever crosses all 20 lines at once. They don't stand on this end and then take one big leap and run past all 20 lines. That's not how they do it. They're right here, and they have a wall, a line in front of them that they're not going to cross. But then you start shirking responsibility. It's innocent. No big deal. Oh, I've been working a lot. Man, I've been doing my part. Man, nobody works like I work. Man, my boss, my co-workers, my, nobody, nobody works like me. I, don't, I work harder than my spouse. I, my kids don't appreciate me. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody understands what I have to carry, what I have to do. I am the only one in the world carrying anything. And as the only one in the world carrying anything that matters and nobody understands me, I just need to, I'm going to just take my breaks. You start crossing lines. You start crossing lines. Well, they're all being irresponsible. Me too. You start crossing lines. You get full of yourself. Don't even recognize you're becoming more full of yourself. In fact, you're feeling better about yourself because you're all about yourself. And pretty soon you're crossing more lines. Now you're ungrateful, but you're justified. Now you're entitled, but you're justified. Now you're envious, but you're justified. It's like, why should they, why should so-and-so have that job? I've worked hard too. Oh, it doesn't matter that it took them 10 or 20 years longer. You want in two years what took them 20 years. You're entitled. Oh, they have things you ought to have. You start looking at what your neighbor has and what you don't have. You're on social media and you start comparing their life to your life. You start taking their perfect little positioned, intentional 20 seconds of the best moment of their day and you compare it to the worst moments of your life and you're like, my life sucks. Look at their life. This is awesome. How do they live like that? I want that life. I want that marriage. I want that family. I want that house. I want their options. Then you go get those options. You start taking what isn't yours. You take that you don't need. You buy stuff you can't afford. You stretch yourself beyond limits. You end up in sexual sins as well. You're like, well, pornography. I mean, the world says it's fine, so it's fine. Commit adultery, why not? She doesn't make me happy. He doesn't make me happy. You know, God wants me to be happy. Doggone it. God wants me to be happy. <laughs> I'm going to make myself happy. And David made himself happy. He didn't sin. He satisfied himself. And all of a sudden, he's down on this end of life. How on earth did I get here? How did I bring such a cascading sorrow on my life and my family and my kids?
See, because there was a day back here when David once lived to please God. And you will move if you take step after step past one line at a time from a life committed to pleasing God to pretty soon pleasing people to pretty soon pleasing yourself until you actually start believing God exists to please you. And you can't even see it. And the walls are all broken down. And you say, how did I get here? And it's entirely knowable. You crossed all the lines one at a time. Until God said in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, and what David did displeased the Lord. Cost David dearly. And David would say, you got to arrest your shirking. You got to arrest your ungrateful. You got to arrest sexual sin. You got to put walls up to keep the bad out. Maybe, maybe less dramatic, but still important. Maybe this is the summer where you say, you know, I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overeat. I got to arrest that. I'm going to put a wall up. You know what this summer, I'm not going to overspend. You know what this summer, I'm not going to overdrink. You know what, you know what this summer, I'm not going to underworship. I'm not going to underserve. What, what, whatever it is, this beach chair theology, look back at your notes. I've already written it there. We've read it. The good life walls out bad things. And then it lets in good things. Master your walls and gates. It lets in good things. See, David would say, you got to let the good things in. And he let many good things in. Check this out. Three things I think he would tell us. Let in. Say yes to meaningful relationships. Say yes to blessing someone. Say yes to the truth in love. I think those are at least three things. Right off the top, meaningful relationships. I don't know if you know that, that David, David's first wife, he, he had to win her. He, he had to earn it, so to speak, back in the day. He had to take down 100 warriors to, to win her. I mean, that, that's kind of romantic. And, and then he, had a, he, he, he kind of let that meaningful relationship in. He, had, he, he built a great relationship with Jonathan, one of his best friends, probably his best friend, better, closer than a blood brother. He let that relationship in. Open that gate. 30 plus mighty warriors who would give their lives for David. I mean, David had a way of opening his heart to God and to others that, that endeared it, built meaningful relationships. And listen, sometimes that's difficult when you come from broken families. It was for me. Coming from a broken family, a strange relationship with my dad, highly dysfunctional family. I don't know, maybe we are all in dysfunctional relationships. I don't know who the perfect, healthy one is, but, but I know our, ours was a mess. And, and I remember the, a, a day, a particular moment in time when God had to arrest me because I was about to put up a wall where I needed to have a gate in terms of a relationship. Marsha and I were about to be married. I was two months away from marrying her, and I was going to call her and call off the wedding. And I was in a conversation with my son, Jake, a few weeks ago, he's in a dating relationship, and he's 23, and we, we were talking about dating, and, and I, this story popped back in my head, and I hadn't thought about this story in years. So I told him the story. He's laughing. He's like, oh my gosh, Dad, that really didn't happen. And, and, then, I, and then I told Marsha the story, and, and she said, I've never heard that story. So I mean, I actually had a story Marsha's never heard, and so you've never heard. So I'll just tell you the whole story, because it's fun. I look like an idiot anyway, but that's most of my stories, so... So, so we're two months away. I just graduated from college. I was 20 years old, finished my four-year degree. And, and, and I had some friends who were senior pastors who, who were saying, oh, you can count on me. I'll help you get a job. You're going to have a job in ministry. 
But the reality is none of it panned out. None of them came through. So all the people I was counting on, I couldn't count on, which you know what? That just makes sense. I mean, I can't count on my folks, can't count on my parents, can't count on my family, can't count on anybody, can't count on, you know what? People disappoint you. They did, that's just the world. You can't trust people. I mean, that's the world, we, that's the reality. Why on earth am I getting married? She's going to disappoint me. I'm going to disappoint her. I'm probably going to be divorced like my parents and live in a broken world, probably mess up my kids. Why am I even doing this? I just need to put up a wall. Why am I getting, I mean, I was just so despondent. Because I'm broke, I'm 20, I'm going nowhere, I'm, I, we're about to get married, I, we have no way to get an apartment, no way to make a, a, a life. She lives four hours away in the summer, she's working, I'm, I'm living with my mom in her little rented duplex, that's it, I told you we were poor, I mean poor. I mean, our, the living room had outdoor furniture, $5 Kmart furniture, that was our, our furniture in the living room. I'm in there painting the living room because I got no job, nothing to do, and I just keep going deeper in this hole, and I'm like, I'm going to call her up and just end this. This is not going to be good. I, I, just, I, I, I need to cut myself off from trusting people and letting people in. This is just dumb. And so I'm working up the courage to pick up the phone and call Marsha and tell her the wedding's off and I'm done. Now my son's like, dad, this really happened? Yeah, he says, I almost wasn't to be. <laughs> well, what happened? What turned it? I said, rock and roll. <laughs> he said, what? I said, yeah. Yeah, a song came on the radio, soft rock, Pablo Cruz. <laughs> now, now he's on the floor. He's like, please tell me that isn't what. He said, I'm waiting for a real God moment. I said, oh, it was. <laughs> I said this back in the day when you don't have iPods, you don't pick your music, it just comes on the radio. Whatever happens, happens. And you just go with it. And Pablo Cruz came on. What you gonna do when she says goodbye? What you gonna do when she's gone? <laughs> so you ready to hang it up? Because things haven't worked out the way you planned. And all your friends are calling you a fool because you don't know a good thing when you got it in your hands. Now, just in case you've never appreciated that kind of music, here it is in all its glory, just for a moment. What you gonna do when she says goodbye? What you gonna do when she is gone? I'm just telling you, that song started playing. I had a God moment. I'm crying. She is a good thing. I'm not going to call her. We're going to get married. You're going to help us. I'm such an idiot. Yo, none of my plans are working, but she is a good thing. My son's on the floor. He's like, you are kidding me. A soft rock song rescued your wedding? I look, look, just stop. Time out, everybody. If you're a guest, you're like, is he just recommending you use rock and roll to get your God leads? I'm not recommending that at all. I'm just saying God in a moment knew that all the God leads I'd had up until that point, I was a, going to drift from, starting to put a wall, and God said, wake up. You got to let the right good things in. You put a wall up to meaningful relationships, and you're not alone by accident. You're alone on purpose. See, God 
built the church to restore broken relationships. This is the place where we have to open up the door and build healthy relationships. And if you come in here with walls up, nobody can help. I mean, maybe, maybe the reason we have to have this conversation is because when we say come down after the service to next 12, you just have to come down. Maybe it's your first few weeks of being here. Maybe you've been here for two or three years and you've never connected. This is the beginning of the connection and relationships, trust me. Maybe you've been here five years and you were once in small groups and once more connected and now you feel a little bit adrift and further away. You come down, why? Because we're gonna talk about home run and how God created you to connect in relationship and what it means and help you step into a group two or three times and it will revolutionize and wake things up. God is using it in this season. Maybe you need to get back to small group. Maybe you won't meet with your small group over the summer, but you, after this teaching, you're like, man, we need to get back to our small group. Okay, not, not for the summer, but maybe, maybe two times in the summer, we just go have a social. As small groups, you call each other up and say, yeah, after that teaching, we, can, we, can, we gotta keep the door open. God, keep relationships meaningful and engaged. Maybe, maybe this Saturday, June 9th, this Saturday, June 9th, the women's prayer gathering that I've been doing for the last few months, once a month, that we're gonna have this Saturday. Maybe you need to jump in on that. And by the way, this one, if you haven't heard, this one is for men and women. Just one time, I'm bringing both groups, brothers and sisters together for a reason, which will make sense when we gather. So guys, you're invited. You were part of the men's prayer gathering the year before, you are invited in. In fact, it doesn't even matter if you weren't a part of any of them, but you wanna be a part of it. It's 7 a.m. right here in this room to 8.15, you're invited. Now, by the way, let me just say that if there's a little conflict at home, like only one can come because the kids, well, since it's women's prayer gathering, that kind of gets the, the lean, then husbands, you stay home with their kids. But if you can both come, come have great experience. And sometimes you gotta open the door and say, you know what, I'm gonna put a gate there, not a wall, and open up to relationship and the meaningfulness that will come from that. Maybe this is for your dating relationship and you're starting to put up walls and it needs a gate. Let's be candid. Maybe this is for your marriage because you can be married long enough that you put up walls. And that's what's wrong. And this summer, you've got to start tearing down some walls and putting gates because marriage builds on open gates. Second thing David would say, he's got to bless someone. You, you got, you, the blessing of someone else has to come into your gates. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David says, is there someone else I can bless? What a great question. Write that down. Is there someone else I can bless? It's a great question. Ask every day, is there someone else I can bless? And Mephibosheth is the name of a young man that David began to bless. He led him into his gates, so to speak. Brought him into the, the, into the king's castle. Brought him in to the king's table. See, he was the son of his friend Jonathan and he was in need and, and David said man I, God's blessed me I gotta bless somebody else and he looks at him, uh, uh, someone like Mephibosheth and says I, you know what I, I can bless him that's the disposition in the 30th anniversary we talked about live sent remember that live sent live what Live sent, on map, on mission. Wherever God puts you, God has sent you to bless other people. I love the story of a 12-stoner where it's pouring out and, and, and uh, as he's coming up the road, somebody's on the side of the road and they had a flat tire elderly couple and as he passes, he's like, oh wow, rough place. <laughs> pouring rain. And then you have that little, ooh, you know what? I could bless them. I could bless them. Say it with me, what? I could bless them. I mean, you, listen, you can't bless everyone, but you can bless someone. 
You can help someone. You can be kind to someone. Turned his car around, came up behind him, walked out, got to their door, said, listen, let me take care of that for you. Popped the trunk, changed out the tire in the rain, got soaked, just wrecked everything for him. And he just said, hey, you matter to God, you matter to us at 12, so have a blessed day. Send them on their way. And I just want to applaud a guy like that. I just don't you? Don't you want to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe every day this summer you should ask yourself, God, who can I bless? A family member, definitely. But then outside your family, coworkers, neighbors, people at the beach, your life is about blessing others. You got to let other people in. Equally, he would say the truth in love. See, In 2 Samuel 12, it tells how God sent Nathan, the prophet, to come to David and to tell the truth. David was deceiving himself, deceiving God, becoming spiritually distant and not being honest about his sin. And Nathan confronted him. And you know what David would say? I had to let him in. I didn't put a wall up. I put a gate and I said, yeah, I gotta have truth tellers. In fact, I asked you earlier, who are you close to? Uh, maybe you better make sure you're close to a truth teller. Maybe that's why God has us having this conversation. Because this right here is a truth telling moment. For us to discover that the good life walls out bad things and lets in good things, and you've got to master your walls and gates. So as I turn the service over to the campus, Pastor, there's a couple of daily prayers sent right at the bottom of your notes. God, give me the strength to wall out the bad things. God, give me the wisdom to open the gate to good things. So I want to pray over you. Would you let me do that? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you let me do that? Could we have a sacred moment right now before God in the very presence of the living God? In fact, I want to have this in a very distinct way. So with your heads bowed around the room, I think there's many of us, not all of us, but there's a few of us for whom we are aware that there's a gate that needs to be opened and there's a wall that needs to be built. Maybe right now you're aware of a wall that needs to get built. You need to take a stand. You need to put some no's. Bad things are coming in. And that wall may be broken down. It needs to be rebuilt. I want to pray over you. Maybe, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a gate that needs to be opened. You're not letting the good things in. You need to take action on that. So here's my point. If you'd like to be prayed over specifically, then all across this room, Cafe Theater, I'm gonna invite whoever you are, and just, it's not everybody, but it may be a few of us, you stand right now, and you just begin to quietly offer your prayer to God and say, oh, that's, that's me, I know my, my wall. Just begin to think right now, God, I, yeah, that's me, I wanna be prayed over for that. Or this is the gate. So you just start standing, several are standing right now. This is just quietly between you and the Lord, but I wanna pray over you. You stand up and say, I got a wall that needs to be built. I've got a gate that needs to be opened. It's just between you and God right now. But I want to pray over you. It's a powerful thing. It's a significant thing. So God, across this room right now, just multiple people standing up, very aware that there is a wall that needs to be built. There is a gate that needs to be opened. Cafe theater and the light, God, we would right now take a moment before you and say, for those who are identifying and praying right now, God, you know the wall that needs to be built. 
I pray that you would help me raise up that wall. In fact, do more than that. God, having made me aware of it, would you supernaturally pour into me? You, you say that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Would you raise up a, a, a new self-control in me? Would you pour into me, and would you make it more than me just out of sheer gut discipline, but would you add the power of the Holy Spirit, and would you raise this wall up, God, so that, that I can begin to, to put a wall in the most important places in my life and not, and not fall to the things that will cost and cascade into loss and sorrow and setback. God, I pray over those right now who are saying, me, me, God, I, I need to open a gate. I, I've put a wall where there needs to be a gate. I need to open up into relationships. I need to let truth tell her in. Or I, I need to step into more meaningful relationships. I, I need to engage the kingdom all the more. God, I, I need to be a part of blessing someone else or whatever unique application it is for them. Father, right now, they're, they're asking, would you give me wisdom? God, I, I need wisdom and I need courage to open up gates that, that are just difficult for me. Sometimes I just get paralyzed by it all. Sometimes I just get so lost and absorbed in myself and I, I just want to shut down. God, would you, would you give me courage and wisdom to, to walk out into the world and maybe this summer is the beginning of a, of a new direction and, a, and a, a new kind of living and it's done by your power and by your strength and it's done by your grace and by your help. God, would you do for me what I can't fully do for myself, but then would you give me the strength to do the very things you invite me to? God, I pray this would be a marking and transforming summer, and this would be the beginning of it. Maybe all of us would receive that prayer. That we'd put up walls and keep the bad out and open up gates and let the good in. Do this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed, saying, Amen.